Welcome to Canada's podcast. Hi everyone, I'm Phil Bliss and welcome to Canada's podcast. Today we're going to meet Adam Bent. Adam is co-founder and CEO of Scout Canning. He's going to talk about how he successfully built a sustainable business. Adam leads Scout's main mission to be the most trusted seafood brand in North America by reducing food waste and protecting our environment. Scout has just announced a $4 million US dollar seed funding round that should accelerate the company's omnichannel brand strategy and operational expansion. Scout makes sustainable seafood more accessible. So without further ado, let's meet Adam. Adam, welcome to Canada's podcast. Uh, it's uh, great to meet you. Um, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your journey so far, and uh, you know, and, and what you're doing now, basically, without taking an hour to do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll do my best to get this. Well, yeah. Good morning, and thank you for having me here today. I appreciate it. Um, so my name is Adam Bent. I am uh, currently serving as co-founder and CEO of Scout, which is a, a seafood brand in the consumer product space. Um, my path here was, uh, was an interesting one, uh, at least to me and hopefully to others. Um, I started my, my entrepreneurial kind of endeavors quite young. Um, in, in high school, I was always, and then before that, kind of messing around with different business ideas. And I ended up um, right out of the gate building a travel brand with the three founders um, rather than going to college university. Um, kind of saw that as an alternative path to learn about building companies. And I also saw it as a way to travel and have fun and, and maybe avoid school for a little mm. bit and, and ended up turning into uh, the launch of my career. Um, I learned so much along the way over those six years, mostly building in kind of the student space. And then we got big enough to start acquiring other travel brands and started to build a portfolio um, of different companies in the travel space and wore a lot of different hats and was able to jump around into different roles and got my teeth cut early um, at, a, at a young age about how to build companies, lead teams and scale. And uh, I had always been uh, somebody who grew up in the outdoors and camping and, um, and I grew up as an environmentalist and uh, very climate conscious and climate oriented. And I eventually found my way after the travel industry into, into food, um, which was an interesting um, kind of pathway to get into uh, people's relationship with, with food and climate. And I launched Urban Spoon in the Canadian market. Um, so for the listeners that don't remember, Urban Spoon was you know, head to head competing with Yelp and Zagat and a few other really great platforms. Yeah, I remember. What was food specific? Yeah. And uh, we got, got uh, some great, great scale up opportunities. And I was one of the first 30 employees there. And eventually we sold to the competitor, which is Open Table, and the kind of product got chopped up and, 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 and sold off to different partners. But in that time, I was working with a lot of chefs, a lot of restaurant groups, a lot of media partners. And even though it doesn't feel that long ago, this is when you know food is becoming cultural capital and chefs are becoming pop icons and and, and really making their way into the mainstream. The food network's blowing up. We're just getting you know uh, apps on smartphones now at this time. So it was a really interesting moment to see how influential chefs were becoming 
on even influencing how consumers would eat at home or their dietary preferences and really kicking off new trends, like making kale cool is a really good example of what was happening at that time. Um, so I was really fascinated with how the hospitality industry and chefs could influence consumer behavior and actually get them to pay attention to things that they weren't paying attention to before. Uh, so I, I took that momentum and that knowledge and, and went out to build a marketplace uh, called Provender. Um, and that was backed by, by Techstars and, and Real Ventures out of Montreal, a couple other Canadian funds. And it was all about just bringing more local food into uh, restaurants and independent grocers so they could purchase directly from producers without having to buy from distributors. We were part of the first food ag tech bubble that you could call it, where PharmaGo has expanded too fast, Good Eggs has expanded into multiple markets and had to scale back. Um, so we call it kind of that first food tech bubble where there was a great appetite for investment in that space. A lot of companies scale, but couldn't figure out their delivery economics or their business models to be profitable. So they, they had to kind of claw back. Uh, and that happened to us. Um, and so I, I learned a lot about marketplaces between Urban Spoon and building community and connecting dots between you know, diners and restaurants, and media partners, and then bringing that knowledge over to Provender. So was that by design or was that luck? The knowledge of marketplaces, yeah. or yeah, you, just luck. Was I it guess. like was it like you 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 know, I want to do this. I'm going down this road, or someone st- you bumped into somebody and and oh, that's interesting. And and I mean, just you know what? I'll I'll, I'll kind of give my hat off to LinkedIn on this. I mean, I spent six years in the, in building the travel brand, and I mean, traveling all over, getting to eat and mm-hmm, experience mm-hmm. things, and I. Uh, got contacted by Urban Spoon off of LinkedIn <laughs> to, to, to see if I'd be interested in launching the market. And I'm, at this time, I don't even really have technology on my radar as an industry or uh, something that I wanted to really be working in. So I did stumble into technology by accident, mostly because I was contacted off of LinkedIn and I thought it was a really cool opportunity that would give me a break from the exposure that I had. And then that set off my my you know, my, my true entrepreneurship career in technology, and, but through a lens of food and brands and, and the hospitality industry. I mean, I'm interested, you know, you, you, you began your career in Ontario. You're, you're, you're now BC slash Canada mm-hmm. and, and, and also doing business in, in the U.S. Um, and I think a lot of people that, that sort of, building you know new businesses wonder you know how can i I mean how can i break into those big markets is there any insights that you can give into that i mean uh no we're only you know 15 percent of the u.s market so uh in general size so you know any 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 kind of advice you can give in terms of getting into the into the u.s being more importantly, being successful in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Well, I I think that it always starts with your relationships, um, and I wouldn't be here without the mentors, advisors, supporters that I've had along the way, and um, really, you know, have to underpin the value of those relationships as you move through whatever you're working on, whether it's at a founder level or employee or team member level. Um, and through your relationships and, and making sure that's an active part of your practice as a, as a business focused person, um, those will eventually unlock opportunities for you. 
Um, and, I, and I think your risk appetite, right? So cultivating those relationships and constantly being in touch with people working on different projects and companies and um, being interested in what other people are doing and learning from them will naturally open up those doors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and having that risk appetite, you know, not, not necessarily being nervous or scared to start with a, a new company that might be really early stage or developing a new idea, knowing that it might not work out and treating business like experiments because often they are right. We're, we're all building stuff from scratch. We're trying things for the first time. We're throwing things at the wall or entering new markets. And I think your risk appetite has to be pretty high um, and be willing to move, which is not easy for everybody, right? For myself, I could as a, as a single guy, um, Mm -hmm. picking up and packing up a bag and moving to a new city or jumping into a new market on the fly um, is something that I have access to not the same for everybody. Um, so of course there's the, the virtual pathways to do that now, but I think, yeah, your relationships, uh, and, and the, the willingness to, to kind of move around and, and take those leaps of faith and trying out new things and in, in, in businesses. What, I mean, you know, you've been entrepreneurial since you left school. I mean, what, what do you like most about being an entrepreneur? What? <laughs> uh, definitely the autonomy and, um, being able to be creative and, and, and building something new. Um, I love the first, you know, three to five years of, of, of building companies, ideas, products, teams. Um, I find that to be the most interesting to, to have something from just a concept or an idea and then seeing that through commercialization, launch, early stage product, and then traction. Uh, I find that incredibly satisfying. Um, and that's what keeps me around. I don't, I don't know if I'll ever be the type of, you know, founder or CEO that will want to be at the helm of a company for 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that's where my skill set is, but I also don't know that yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really, really enjoy those, those first three to five years, um, mm-hmm. and a part of the, the company or the products. Yeah. I can understand. You know, you, you, you're building a sustainable seafood business. <laughs> As, as it said in, in the notes that I got about you, you know, what do you mean? What are you most excited about in in this business that, that you're in now? Mm-hmm. Well, maybe to tie back to to what I had been working on previously, right? Urban Spoon and then Provender, bringing mm-hmm. local food into to wholesale. Um, I learned so much about about brands and how people interacted around food and food systems, and I and I wanted to do something that was a, a break from tech, um, and I got into consumer products, which are now actually built very similar to tech companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you look at product categories that have been kind of eaten up by smaller brands, you could use Allbirds as an example, coming from market share from Nike or Casper coming from market share from, you know, CD mattresses or something like that. Um, all, at the end of the day, those companies kind of built themselves up like tech companies, but they're really product companies at the end of the day, right? They're, they're building products, they're CPG companies. And the amount of innovation that we've seen in food and beverage and consumer products from smaller brands is incredible over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very easy to start a company now. There's so many tools available, harder than ever to scale one. But as I was working with so many direct-to-consumer brands over the years um, before building Scout, I got to kind of look under the hood at how all of these different companies were coming to market when they were starting online, when they were moving offline into physical retail, if they maybe just stayed as direct-to-consumer brands, wanted to own their whole you know uh, experience end-to-end, whether it was 
uh, a big brand like Hershey's or uh, a smaller emerging maker in Toronto launching a concept store for a month. Um, got a lot of exposure to different product categories, founders and entrepreneurs. And when I looked at seafood as a category, um, I was fascinated with how little innovation had happened uh, in the last 50 years, but how big of a category it was. And so seafood consumer products is a, is a multi-billion dollar market in Canada and the U.S., but the brands that serve the category are antiquated. You know, they're very disconnected from ocean health, from climate action. They've built their, their brand platforms on the lowest pricing possible and trying to provide as much value, but at the sacrifice of a lot of human rights and, and the supply chain and, and environmental degradation and supply chain. So those were the motivators for me emotionally to really want to come in and, and be a challenger brand in the space. But also that's because what consumers want now, millennials, Gen Zs, and a big part of the rest of the older generations now pay a lot more attention. They want to be supporting responsible brands. It sounds, um, like, it sounds like the food business is kind of going the, the way of the, the, the craft brewing business, which was sort of dominated you know, by, by global brands. Then all of a sudden, these new new brands get coming up. Is that is that going to be the picture of the, of the food business for the next for the next twenty five years? It's a great analogy. It's actually one that I use often, even in our space, because we're focused right now on on tin seafood. Um, mm-hmm. It's shop like wine or it's shop like craft beer. There's you know the taste of place, amazing variety of producers globally, all working on on different ver- varieties, um, and and the way that those products are marketed are all about craftsmanship and you know more of an artisan, lower scale process. So the market's certainly more crowded now. Like I said, it's easier to start a brand. It is harder to scale one because everybody wants to start a brand. Everybody wants to have a company now, uh, and that's great. We want to see that level of innovation and, and competitiveness in the market. Um, but there, because there are so many tools available to launch now, you know, we, we do see a crowded marketplace and a lot of copycats, right? People will come in and see mm-hmm. a, a brand or a new product idea being successful in the U.S. and then they'll race to recreate it in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw that with mattresses, right? How many mattress companies? You don't have enough fingers or toes to count um, how many mattress companies exist. So one thing that it does do, though, is, is you get a lot of copycats rather than it pushing innovation. Um, but yeah, the 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 food and beverage space is, you know, it's it's a great space. You see some of the same level of exits that you do in big tech. You know, a brand like RX Bar, you know, they reinvented the granola bar and you know, exit to Kellogg's for four hundred billion dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, these these are big big companies now, um, and if you can hit the right brand experience and, and product category, um, you know, the consumer market, it's it's big. So. Um, there's appetite there. There's a lot of investment there. The VC ecosystem is fully developed now for consumer packaged goods. Um, there's you know well over I would say 80 to 100 funds in the U.S. alone just focused on consumer products. So it's very developed now. You've obviously overcome a lot of challenges. You built built a few businesses or helped build a few businesses. We never build it on our own. Um, what do you you know? Do you have a kind of way of approach an overcoming challenge process that you've developed I mean, is a, when you hit a wall you know how do you get around it how do you get over it how do you get through it like everything experience um i've been 
firefighting and, and, and dealing with scale up issues and emergencies and challenges right out of the gate from, you know, 17. And, um, you just learn a lot about resilience and trying to stay calm, think about optionality. Um, you know, don't, don't let that fear, the anxiety, the stress kind of overcome your ability to make decisions and mm-hmm. still operating in a space where it's okay to fail. Um, I think we all play such, you know, of course you don't want to fail. We all want to be successful, but you're operating from a place of understanding your business is still an experiment. You're doing the best you can. You're trying to make the right decisions all the time, but this isn't a guaranteed outcome. Then you can go a little bit easier on yourself. And I think mm-hmm. that perspective shift for me has really helped me over time. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, you're responsible to your team members, your shareholders, um, your partners, your suppliers. There's, there's a lot there. So it's easier said than done. But ultimately, um, operating from you know the space that you're you're doing the best that you can to make this business successful, and ultimately, if it were easy, everybody else would do it. Um, yeah. And communication, um, you know, communication and empathy are two of my you know big levers when it comes to leadership. Um, I like to listen. Um, I like to really chat things out. Maybe I like to have too many meetings sometimes about things, but I really appreciate over-communicating, especially in the early days. Um, mm-hmm. So things are a bit more structured. Um, and being empathetic, making sure that team members' opinions, voices are heard and, and their contributions acknowledged. Because uh, like you just said, these companies are not built alone. Um, and your team members are everything. And without them, you're not going to have a company. So they're your biggest asset and the biggest priority. Um, and always treating team as the number one, um, you know, foundation to, to building these companies. You know, you talked a little bit about earlier about mentorship, you know, what's the best piece of advice that you've received that you kind of, that stays with you, the, 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 you, you know, it's, it's there. Always be recruiting. I hate the whole always be closing thing because <laughs> I think that's a little tacky now and outdated, but. Um, at C100 uh, in San Francisco uh, years ago, I forget who the CEO, the CEO, she was awesome. And she was just talking about, again, like relationships and just always be recruiting. You are constantly going to be needing to grow your team and scale. And the more people that you're meeting, the more relationships you're developing, you want to be attracting people constantly to you and your company, whether it's the right time to be hiring them or not. Um, so I, again, operate from that mentality. Uh, I'm always looking for, you know, learning opportunities, learning from others around me, making those relationships, um, because I want to be able to recruit some really smart people onto my teams at the right time. Um, and so always having that mentality at any event, networking opportunity online, meeting friends at dinner, that kind of thing. Um, and that, that advice has served me really well along the way. You know, you work, you've worked with a lot of people. Uh, I mean, are entrepreneurs kind of wired differently? I mean, you know, are you, you know, <laughs> different than some of the people around you? I don't know. I, I don't want to make it sound like we're special. You know, I think that we definitely have more risk appetite. We're willing to put everything on the line to try something new. And that's not something that everybody feels very comfortable doing or has the opportunity to do if they already have quite a few personal commitments in their life. Mm-hmm. Recognize that. Um, and yeah, I think I, I often think about us as creatives too. I, I'm not sure if entrepreneurship is maybe perceived that way from a lot of people, but 
you know, I have friends that are designers. Some of them make video games and some of them are artists and musicians. And my brain kind of operates that way too. I think of business as an important element for sure. Yeah. We're trying things new. We're experimenting. We're working with others. We're communicating. And I, I find it to be a very, very creative process. So I, I sometimes identify more with uh, creatives than I would with an analyst that can sift through business, you know, worksheets or Excel files for, for three hours telling me where my, my financial performance is at. <clears throat> so following on for that, so that, that's, that was a really good session in terms of some, 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 you know, I think, you, you know, if you had to pick one word to describe yourself, what would it be? Why? Mm, resilient comes to mind right away. Um, you know, the, the previous companies that I mentioned, the ones that I worked for were bought or sold and the ones I built myself had problems with scale. Some of them exited at, a, at, at, at way, way, way lower than what they were, they were worth what we wanted them to be and others failed. Um, and I'm so proud of everything that I've worked on, regardless of those outcomes that weren't necessarily what we wanted or what I wanted. Um, it is part of the journey of just kind of learning from that learning everything you can, taking everything you can away from it, and then channeling all that energy and that learning into the next thing that you're building. Um, and I don't like the word serial entrepreneur. And again, I think it's another kind of tacky one that we've all co-opted. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But there is some meaning behind that, right? For somebody who just kind of keeps going and keeps trying new things. And um, I really admire that from other entrepreneurs that I've seen, whether they've been successful or they mm -hmm. failed before, when they just keep on. People have called me that and I said, no, I'm not a serial entrepreneur. I work in, for my, you know, my own business yeah. forever. And I've had, you know, I've bought and sold, you know, six companies or yeah. and closed a few of them as well. Yeah. <laughs> like when I try to explain to my grandmother what I do, she's like, wait, you're in travel before and you're in this restaurant, you know, tech hospitality ecosystem, and now you're in canned fish. Like, what, how do I, how do I connect the dots here? Yeah. Um, but that's, that's what, that's what entrepreneurship is. It's uh, just kind of going through and figuring out how to work for yourself and create value and, and, and bring some meaning um, into the world. Are you a morning or a night person? I'm a night person, but I'm becoming more of a morning person. I'm in this strange shift now in my life where I love waking up early. Uh, and I'm going to bed a lot earlier, but man, a couple of years ago, like I, you know, I'm, I'm definitely up till 12, one, and then maybe up at like eight 30 before I absolutely have to be up, but it's, it's shifting. I can be a thing with age, I guess. Um, so, well, right. I'm older than you, but I've, I've always been, a, you know, a, 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 somewhere between five and six o'clock in the morning. Guy. That, that's just well, you got me up at 7am this morning for this. So there's. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what what book are you reading, podcast you're listening to that you know that that kind of thing at, at the moment? Yeah, so I I'm very uh, like I said, climate conscious, and I'm doing I do a lot of reading um, around around climate action, climate change. Uh, right now, I'm reading a book called All We Can Save, which is by Doctor Angel Angelina Elizabeth. Oh, I'm going to butcher her last name, but it's. Uh, it's a fantastic book. It's a collection of different um, essays and thought leadership pieces all around the capabilities that we have um, to actually save the, climate, the, the planet and the climate emergency that we're in right now. 
Um, and I like to balance out a little bit of the, the real world stuff with, you know, a bit more of the fantastical. Uh, but even in the fantastical things that I read, it's actually still climate fiction. So it's a genre where it talks about, you know, more of a sci-fi uh, post-apocalyptic world after the climate disaster has wiped out a lot of humanity. And there's tons of books in that genre. Uh, and I find it fascinating to read those and then also read some of my real world books uh, around climate change. Uh, but I, I find it very motivating. It's something that, that really gets me up every morning and part of what we're really trying to do with our brand. Um, so what advice would you give an entrepreneur or someone that's you know taking that first step into entrepreneurship uh, that's going to starting a business um what advice would you give them a balanced approach to you know having that that spirit of continuous learning and trying to absorb as much information mm -hmm. and also having enough conviction in your own idea of when to um maybe be more stubborn and to push back on, on those who might know more than you, if you have a lot of conviction for what you're doing. I think early on when you're getting started, there's a lot of people who are going to want to help. There's a lot of opinions and a lot of hands in the cookie jar. And you need that. You need that network, those people to push you and to learn and to grow uh, and, and to learn from their own mistakes or achievements. But you still have to balance that out with your own conviction of what you're working on because you need to humbly know more about your product and your idea and be able to defend it um, not to the point that it's unreasonable, but you do need to continue to have the conviction that what you're working on will work um, and to stick to it while still being really open and receptive to those feedbacks who are pushing you. Because you'll get shot down by a ton of investors and you know, you'll have other former founders that have tried to work on a similar business model tell you that it's impossible and it's a horrible idea and you should give up and try something else. And you're getting a lot of that background noise and, and various you know, loops of feedback. So it's kind of a, this balance within yourself of, of having that convic the conviction and then knowing when to really be open and receptive to, to, to learning and the feedback and, and using that to balance out how you're building your company. Really interesting. Adam, I, we're at the end of our time here. I, I really, it's been great. Sorry to get you up so early. but yeah, No problem, Philip. I'm not that sorry. I'm up there. <laughs> <laughs> I got the whole morning ahead of me now to do some great, some great uh, things. I'm not how, can, how can people uh, you know, get a hold of you if they hear something? It's quite often happens, you know, they hear something and they, they want they want to kind of get a hold of you to to chat about it, kind of thing, get some insights. How, yeah, what's the best way to get a hold of you. So I actually keep every Friday afternoon open to talk with other people, um, and that's kind of my my end of week uh, ritual that I really look forward to. And you're welcome to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's Adam Bent, or my email is adam at scoutcanny.com, and I'd love to chat with anybody who wants, okay. to, wants to jam out. That's really great. Adam, thanks very much for coming on, uh, on Canada's podcast. Really, really been a, an interesting session. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Philip. Appreciate it.